First Thessalonians chapter five. We'll be reading this morning from verses 12 through 15, but we will only be considering verse 15 this morning. Let me just get this ready real quick. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is God's holy inspired word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, precious Son, ever-present Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would be with us You would help us to learn and glean, uh, further be sanctified by your word this morning, and that we would be challenged and encouraged to encourage the faint-hearted. Maybe that is one of us this morning. Help us, Lord, to take heed to your word. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I do greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and again, welcome you on this Lord's Day. Uh, We are continuing our short series, Encouragements While We Wait. We have been considering the commandments God gave to the church through the pen of the Apostle Paul while we wait for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These commands are presented, if you have noticed, in the plural form, which means they are therefore directed toward the entire church. They are for everyone. This morning, we will be considering the command found in the middle of verse 14, the command which says, encourage the faint hearted, encourage The faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, who are the faint-hearted? And how are we to encourage them? Let's examine some scriptures to discover at least the answer to who are the faint-hearted. We find this word, encourage the faint-hearted, encourage, used in John chapter 11, where it is two times used to describe Those who came to Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus had died. And they came to Mary and Martha to console them or to comfort them in their grief, to encourage them. In that context, context, those who are grieving are being encouraged. Uh, Grieving or faint heartedness, it, it is conveying the idea of someone who is low. Someone who is low physically or low emotionally and they are being encouraged or being given courage to be lifted up. While we wait for the return of Christ, God commands the church to encourage those who are low. 
while we wait for the return of Christ, God commands the church to lift up those who are lacking in strength. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness. Listen to this. But a crushed spirit, who can bear it? The faint-hearted are those with crushed spirits. Ones who feel as though they are dying. Not necessarily externally, but those who feel like they are dying internally, within. Uh, They are afflicted in their soul. They're crushed. They are faint-hearted. Isaiah 35, 4 says, Say to those who have, listen to this, an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, will with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Here, someone who is faint-hearted is someone who has an anxious heart. Do you know what it it means to be filled with anxiety? Do you know what it is to be in a completely calm setting and yet feel a great angst upon your heart and soul and not even be able to understand it? I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I shouldn't feel this way. Everything around me tells me everything is at peace. But everything within me says... There is a raging water, a raging war going on within. These are the faint-hearted. It is those who feel like there is no one who can help them, no one who can save them. The faint-hearted are those who are crushed in spirit and who have an anxious heart. And I would ask you this morning, does that describe you? Maybe not all the time. Most of the time. The majority of the time, I wonder. Isaiah 54, 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife, listen to this, a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Those who are uh, faint-hearted are those who are grieved in spirit, but they are like a woman who has been sent away because of divorce. All throughout human history, at least... Uh, most human history for a wife to be divorced was a serious issue it was serious abandonment Uh, for a wife to be left without a husband meant that she that she had to provide for herself and this was a great difficulty in most of this world's history she has no one to provide she is helpless this is what the faint-hearted feel like God says he will come to to those kinds of people, those who realize their utter helplessness. But also, Isaiah 57 says, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is called holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. God is exalted. But listen to this. I dwell also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. Brothers and sisters, the faint-hearted are those who are lowly. They are crushed. They are grieved. They are anxious. They are low again. And we, while we wait for the return of Christ, we are called to encourage them. 
Now, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, that's not me. I feel fine. But this isn't about you, is it? If you feel fine, then it is your responsibility to encourage those who don't. Well, look around you this morning. There are some who are not here because they are low, because they are grieved, because they are anxious. They are grieved and crushed in spirit. Where are they? Well, they happen to be needing someone's encouragement. Again, we may say, I'm fine. But this passage is about for those of you who are fine to help those who are not. We are called to console them, to comfort them, to encourage them. To encourage is to strengthen the heart of the faint hearted. It is. What do you do? Okay, I'm supposed to strengthen them. How? Add fuel to their faintly burning lamps so that their flames may burn bright once again. How do we do that? Well, this morning, with uh, God's help, we'll consider five ways or five at least points. They, five sounds like a lot. There'll be, there'll be shorter points, I promise. Uh, let's deal with the first one. Let's just deal with, firstly, those who are faint-hearted. Or, when we are tempted to be faint-hearted, misplace expectations. Misplace expectations. Uh, let me ask you this question, brothers and sisters. What do you expect in this life? Think about that for a moment. What do you expect? Now let's ask another question. What has God promised you in this life? Has God promised expectations and God's promises? Has God promised you and I as believers a life of ease? Has God promised you in this life that you will be completely healthy, wealthy, and live lives absent of suffering. Has God promised those things? The answer to this is no. Oh, well, can we prove that from the scriptures? Of course. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And the grace of God who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, listen, who comforts us in all our troubles. This assumes that we will have trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble. That means others will have trouble too with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Are, though, are, there, are there those who are suffering? Yes. Have you ever suffered? Yes. What should you do since you've come out on the other side of suffering, help those who are in the middle of it. Romans 3, or 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Paul says we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We'll talk about this in a moment. But parents, it's good for you to allow your kids to go through difficult things. It's good for them. If we try to shelter them from difficulty, then how will they learn to ever persevere? How will they ever develop character? How will they ever learn to hope when they are going through more suffering? It's good for your kids to go through difficult things. Work it out. It'll build character in you. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are worth more 
not worth not worth comparing, I should say, with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then finally, John 16.33, the one that we all know. The Lord Jesus Christ says, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have trouble. You will have suffering. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So it's clear, with even just the few, and there are plenty more that we have read, that we have not been promised by God lives of ease, but that we can be assured that even when we are experiencing good things in this life, and we will, we will also be experiencing suffering. Oftentimes, uh, we experience great suffering and disappointment because we somehow believe that we can only expect good things in our lives. You should circle that maybe. Only expect good things in our lives? Question mark. No. Has God only promised good things? No. So then when these expectations that are based upon falsehoods, when they don't materialize, someone can find themselves to be faint-hearted. But the faint-hearted, uh, faint-heartedness comes from unrealistic expectations. Why are you downcast? Well, because things did not go the way that, that I wanted them to go. Have you been promised that things will go the way that you wanted them to go all the time? No. Could they go uh, maybe better? Of course. What a person expects to find happiness and satisfactions and things in satisfaction and things that can never satisfy. They realize that there's a great sense of emptiness. They've not been fulfilled. There are some who pursue external uh, satisfactions. They will seek fulfillment in food and drinks. Uh, they, seek, they seek fulfillment in intimacy or material goods. Some seek fulfillment in entertainment or hobbies. But what do they find? What do they find at the end of those roads? They find, just as we've learned before, that the satisfaction is not lasting. It doesn't endure. In food and drink, it doesn't last. You'll be hungry again tomorrow. You'll need more drink again tomorrow. In intimacy and material goods, they do not fulfill. You'll keep wanting more. In entertainment and hobbies, they last but for a season. But ultimately, the person is trying to escape the reality of suffering. That things in this life are not always perfect. So for the faint-hearted, we need to often, oftentimes encourage them with this. Things are not going to always be perfect. Things are not always going to be great. There are momentary pleasures that we experience in this life. But there's another falsehood. If it's not from the external things coming in, there are those who seek uh, fulfillment and satisfaction from within and not from without. Does that make sense? Now they will say, in order for you to have peace of mind, you need to find it from within. In order to reach this, this state of nirvana, if you will. In order for you to find peace, you need to love yourself. You need to be okay with yourself. And those who preach that you must find peace within, that you must be content with yourself and find joy within yourself, they must not have looked into the mirror lately. Because my mirror always tells me just how rotten I am. My mirror always tells me how rotten my, I am. My inner thoughts always tell me how rotten I am. I really have to lie to myself to be okay with myself. That's not necessary either, is it? That's not, that's not the way to go. 
People like that believe that in order to avoid suffering, you only need to clear your mind. Focus on the positives. I'll tell you what, clearing your mind only works if you're not going to live in this real world. Clear your mind, go ahead. But when it's unclear and when you open your eyes, you'll still be here. You can't wish yourself away to another land. There is emptiness whether you try to make yourself happy by ignoring the body or emptiness whether you try to make yourself happy by indulging in it. Either way, brothers and sisters, these are falsehoods that surround us. What do you believe? The body can somehow be satisfied and when it is uh, all over, your suffering will still remain. Or that you can meditate and the negatives will disappear. No, they won't. May I say to you that those who try those two different extremes, they're not living in reality. They're trying to escape it. And there's no way that you can escape it. So what's the truth? Well, here's our truth. That our citizenship, Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. That 1 Chronicles 29.15, that we are strangers on this earth. Uh, 1 Peter 2.11, that we are exiles and sojourners in this world. And it's not escape theology. It's not escapism. It's, it's accepting the fact that we will suffer, but we're heading to another place. That we will suffer, but we're not staying here. We're on our way onward and upward. We will suffer, but this will not be our eternal home. We're heading toward our true home where there will be no more suffering. And that's a good way to encourage those who are faint-hearted. What are you expecting? Good things. Well, brother, sister, good things don't always come to us in this life. But thanks be to God, we're heading to our eternal home where there is nothing but good things. That's encouraging. All right, let's go to our second point. Preserving or persevering while you sojourn. Persevering while you sojourn. Since we are sojourning, we must persevere. I heard someone say this life is to be endured, not enjoyed. This life is to be endured. Not enjoyed. Now, this is not an absolute, but is generally true. This life is to be endured. And not always enjoyed, is it? Is every moment of your life enjoyable? Some of you didn't enjoy waking up this morning. Some of you don't enjoy the fact that you have to wait about another 45 minutes or so to eat. It's not always enjoyable. Will you enjoy good things in this life? Of course you will. We do experience wonderful things in this life, and it is a gift from God Almighty. We enjoy relationships. We enjoy new parts of the world. We we visit new places. We enjoy food. We do. We enjoy drinks. We Some of us enjoy strength. Let me just say, even if you feel weak, you're not dead. So there's some strength left. You enjoy strength. You enjoy health. Some of us more than others. My wife and I, uh, we recently celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary in the, let's see if you can guess where it is, in the American Riviera. Santa Barbara. (laughs) And one of the statements that my wife and I agreed on was we were sitting on the pier there and eating uh, fish and shrimp and chips and clam chowder and a giant onion ring from Shellfish Company. I suggested. My wife said, and I agreed, 
I wish we could just do this all the time. Well, of course, who would not like to sit on the pier of the American Riviera while you're dipping your fried shrimp in ketchup and all of those wonderful things? But that's not reality. We cannot live that way all the time. We had to get back to, in the same day, the real world. We must endure it. We must enjoy, we will enjoy the pleasures, yes, but not rely upon them for our satisfaction. Was it a good time? Yes. And that's all it was. And nothing more. Praise God for the good things that we experience. We also, though, experience the effects of the fall just as much. As much as we experience good things in this life, we also experience the effects of the fall in this life. Every day we're reminded that we live in a sin-sick world. Every day. We all, uh, for the strength that we all feel, we all will personally experience sickness and injury. Don't you know that? Feel good today. You can feel ready to work out and ready to eat well. It only takes a week for something to happen. and It just thwarts all of your plans. Now all of a sudden I'm feeling sick. I've got an injury in the back. I, my leg, all of a sudden that happened. I was running so good and now I can't run anymore. It's all fleeting. Of all the places that we travel, all the places that we go to, who likes to travel? Well, for as much traveling as you do, you realize how expensive it is. Just to get from one place to another, just to eat all of that wonderful food, it costs a lot. For all the wonderful relationships that we have. And if you can think about wonderful relationships, think about those who automatically come into your head. You love them. Why do you love them? Think about how many times you've wrestled with them, fought with them. Uh, Think about how hard those relationships are in maintaining. Uh, Think about how much you have to put up with from them and they have to put up with with you. For as many good things as we experience, there's as many bad things that are connected to it as well. And even think of those relationships. For as many good ones as we have, we also experience many betrayals. And then even also the ultimate separation of death, which is difficult. And what do we most desire? Well, we most desire that all the positives would stay and that all the negatives would go away. Is it wrong to want those things? No, it's not wrong to want them. It's just not realistic. It's just not realistic. And if we're depending upon them for our joy and for our satisfaction, uh, hoping that those things remain, then we're going to have a hard time pressing forward when they end. And they will all eventually end. We'll be like those children who you see them before. You're kind of embarrassed by them until you realize that your kids do the same thing. When you bring them to the playground and they're crying and screaming and and holding on to the monkey bars, they don't want to leave. They want to stay on the playground forever. And you're saying, you got to go. We got to go. And we're kicking and screaming and crying because we don't want to go, mama. Well, that will be our attitudes. If we are holding on to these things, thinking they're going to remain forever, they will not. They will not. So then we must tell the faint hearted when they're kicking and screaming, endure it. Persevere. You will suffer and you cannot make these things go away. You have to endure them and press forward. Don't believe the lie of Walt Disney. There is no uh, star that you can wish upon. You cannot have anything that your heart desires, no matter who you are. And no matter how much you believe. Disney lied to you. They're still lying to you. 
Believe God. God has promised that he will be with you in times of suffering. And that you, he will give you strength to endure. And he will give you strength to press on. When we are prepared to endure, then we'll be able to enjoy the mercies and blessings of God more accurately. God has given me this good thing. It's a great thing. And should God take it away, then to God be the glory. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this does not seem very encouraging to the faint-hearted, does it? (laughs) We must take these things or make these things really clear. Because to some degree, some of the faint-hearted are faint-hearted because they're not living in the real world. Some of the faint-hearted are faint-hearted because they are not living in the real world. They are not accepting the realities of this world. They have to be given, the faint-hearted have to be given a dose, a difficult dose of reality. And make it clear that we must accept difficulty and endure it. Is it hard? Yes, but you've got to press forward. And God will give you the strength. If we didn't seek these idols and earthly things, then we might not be so faint-hearted, some of us. But we must not bring this faint-heartedness upon ourselves because of unreal expectations or because of an unwillingness to endure suffering. Now, in three more points, how do we encourage the faint-hearted? Number one, offer the right kind of support. Or number three, I'm sorry, offer the right kind of support. Those who are faint-hearted are those who are crushed. They are anxious. They are grieved. They are lowly. How do they? How do we respond to them? Brothers and sisters, we have three options. We can be apathetic, empathetic, or sympathetic. Apathetic, empathetic, or sympathetic. Well, let's deal with them. Apathy means you don't feel anything. It's the absence of care. Someone expresses to you their their distress and their sadness and their lowliness. And we're unmoved. Well, we cannot encourage, we cannot obey the command to encourage the faint-hearted if we don't care. That's the one extreme. When someone comes to you and shares their grief, do you actually care? The other extreme is empathy. Now, this is an, an important one. Empathy is feeling what the other person feels. It is entering into their sadness and distress and feeling it along with that person, alongside of them. You may be surprised to hear this. That is not what the Bible commands us to do. We are to, uh, that's not the encouragement that God is calling us to give. And it's also not the, the, the help that the faint-hearted need. If you're drowning in the ocean, the last thing that you need is for the lifeguard to come and to say, I'm coming. And as he gets out to the ocean, he stands along or is swimming alongside of you and says, you're drowning. Okay, let me drown with you. And he goes down into the water. He said, what are you doing? I'm, 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 I'm uh, joining you in your suffering. I'm going to drown with you. The last thing that someone who is drowning needs is for you to drown with them. They don't need us to participate in their drowning to see what so we we can see what it's like. Now you feel me. Now you know how I feel. No, we need they need to be rescued from drowning. Lifeguards are not co-drowners. They are lifesavers. 
Empathy runs the risk. Empathy, it, it can run the risk of drowning with those who are drowning. Beware of that. Entering into their distress, being pulled down with them. That's an extreme. So the one is not caring. The one is going too far in your care. Feeling their pain with them. We are called to sympathy. Sympathy. That is acknowledging what the person is feeling. But rather than stepping inside of their suffering, you're standing alongside of them while they suffer. You're not jumping into the water to drown with them. You're standing outside of the water and throwing them a life preserver and saying, come, let me help you. It's what the friends of Job did when he was afflicted. His friends came. And if you ever read the, the book of Job, they sat with Job and they did not say one word to Job until Job spoke. They sat alongside of him. They showed solidarity with him. They they comforted him simply by being there with him. The lifeguard does not participate in your suffering, but he is there with you. He swims out and he rescues. We are called to do that. We are called to be lifeguards, if you will, to those who are going through faint-heartedness. To come alongside of them and say, be encouraged. God is with you. God will give you strength. Endure it. The faint-hearted does not need for the candle of our hearts to also be faintly burning. But rather, they need for our fire, our flame, to spark over into their fire so that it can further, more dramatically, if you will, flame and burn once again. What they need for us is a heat transfer. They need us to be with them in their weakness and to help them in their condition. Sympathy is being there with those who are suffering because you care. Without drowning in their sorrow and in their misery. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, you probably have heard the scripture. What about weeping with those who weep? Isn't that uh, joining into their drowning? No. Uh, What the scriptures are actually speaking about is having a sympathy. But also, when you weep with those who are weeping... Oftentimes you are weeping because of a common uh, sadness. You often are weeping with them because their grief is also something that grieves you as well. There are common causes of grief. When one passes away, we share grief because we cared also for those who have passed. It's a common sadness. So when you're crying with those who cry, when you're weeping with those who weep, It's not because you're entering into their sadness. It's because you feel sad just like they feel sad. There's nothing wrong with that. In this church, if you stay here long enough, there are going to be people who we love dearly in this church who pass away. And we will all join in their celebration of life and also death. And we will weep together. Because there is a common sadness that we share. But here's the other thing. We must, we must realize that not all emotions should be affirmed or consoled. We are called to encourage the faint-hearted. But if we jump straight to empathy for everyone without discernment, we may sympathize with those whose emotions are unjustified or even sinful. Remember Jonah. He was angry more than once because God was sending him to go preach to the Ninevites so that they could be saved. 
And Jonah was completely upset about this, this call. And the question from God was this. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah was angry that they weren't destroyed. And God asked again, do you be, do you do well to be angry? Are you angry for a good reason? Jonah again was upset. Uh, when God causes his shade to plant or a, a, a plant that he had that was causing, providing shade for him, Jonah gets upset again at God. And God says, are you are you upset for a good reason? Do you do well to be angry? It's, it's a very important and evaluating question. Are you angry for the right reason? What are you mad about? I say that to my daughter all the time. <laughs> What's wrong? Why are you mad? What are you upset about? We should ask ourselves that question. God is asking Jonah, and now through his word, we are being asked. When you are upset, are you upset for a good reason? We can think of all the ways why we can justify why, yes, I'm upset for a good reason. But is it really a good reason? And if we automatically uh, listen and, and, and empathize with those who are upset, say, oh, you're, you're, you're upset. Oh, let, let me help you. It might not be a good reason for them being upset. Why are you upset? Let's evaluate that first. And if it's not a good reason, then maybe we need to repent for our misplaced anger. Not every grief should be affirmed. The Israelites were released from slavery by God. And it was not long before they were in the desert. And what did they do? Complain, murmur. Murmuring and complaining. Does God say to them while they're murmuring and complaining, oh, I'm sorry, what, what, what would you like me to do for you? They're rebuked. They're rebuked because their anger, their murmuring, their complaining is misplaced. God freed them from slavery, gave them victory over the Egyptians, was promising to walk them into the promised land. And they're complaining. Uh, parents, we do this with our kids often, don't we? You got your, your happy meal. You got your toy. You went to the park. What are you complaining about now? You've had a good day. Why are you complaining? Well, sometimes we can be very childish and immature as well, can't we? We must guard against immediate empathy because not all emotions should be affirmed. Sometimes they're sinful and they need to be rebuked. Someone's crying. Why are you crying? Let's find out first before we automatically say, oh, let me cry with you. Let me find out. And if it's justified, then we will bring it to God together. Not everyone's story, not everyone's feelings are accurate and correct. Not everyone's story needs to be affirmed or consoled. Encouraging the faint-hearted requires great discernment. God's mercy then should be our model. God is merciful in a way that we are not. Because God does not enter into our suffering. And that's what we are called not to do. Many believe that God feels what we feel. He has somehow entered into our suffering. That when we cry, He cries. Not true. God does not cry when you cry. And God does not laugh when you laugh. Christ in his human nature. Christ can sympathize with our human human weaknesses. Uh, he knows our grief. He knows our human emotions. But he is the God-man as well. At the right hand of the Father. God in divine nature does not feel as we feel. He is God without passions, as you know. How can God then be merciful if God has 
not passions and does not feel what we feel. It's because God does not need to be moved by mercy or need to be moved to mercy in order for him to give mercy because he is the fullness of mercy. God does not need to give or to feel our pain in order for us to have some kind of comfort. He's the God of comfort. He himself is comfort. He in his own, uh, he is his own cause of mercy. He is his own cause of love and comfort. And he allows all of us to come up to him and call upon his name for mercy. For me and you to be merciful, you and I need to be moved to mercy. People donate to causes that make them feel emotional. Our mercy is contingent then. But God does not need to be moved to mercy. His mercy and his love and his grace and his comfort, they're not contingent. They're of who he is. He is merciful based upon his own mercy. We know this verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. I know you're still turning there, but I'm going to read it very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God looks upon our sinfulness, our weakness, our wretchedness. And we hated him. When we hated him. When we were dead in sin and dead in trespass. There was not one thing that the dead sinner, you and I, could do to move God to mercy. We were both haters of God. And dead in our sin. And yet God. In the fullness of his mercy. Was compassionate toward us. Our mercy should be like God's. Obviously we are not God. But we should see his mercy as a model of what we should strive for. We do not help. Because we have been convinced to help. We help. Because we are moved to mercy. And we help all those who are in need of mercy. Remember the Good Samaritan. He helped why? Because there was someone in need. Not because that someone was like him. Not because that someone looked like him. Or was from the same area as him. The Good Samaritan was not from, obviously in the story of the parable, he was not from the same place as the Israelites. He was despised by the Israelites. And yet... The Good Samaritan helps because it's the good, merciful thing to do. In the church, we help the faint-hearted, whoever they are. Help them. Not just the ones who are like us, who look like us, who come from the same place that we come from. We encourage the faint-hearted, whoever they are. Because we are following the model of God. God is rich in mercy even when we hated him and were dead in our sins and trespass. We must show mercy because God is our model. Number four, do not suffer in silence nor wallow in grief. Do not suffer in silence nor wallow in grief. Uh, To the faint-hearted, may I encourage you, if you're suffering, express your suffering. 
If you're sorrowful, tell someone that you're sorrowful. If you do not, then your sadness will be, obviously, if it's contained, it will begin to swell. And it won't be healthy for your soul. Darkness deepens if we do not express or give expression to our sorrow. Or voice our lament. We'll die on the inside. Uh, Proverbs 17.20 speaks about the, the death of someone whose, whose bones are drying up from within. Uh, they have no strength to stand. Your, your bones are causing you to stand. Strength and muscles, all of those things. They're causing you to stand. But when someone's bones are wasting away, they're essentially shrinking and dying, shriveling up. Well, that's what faint-heartedness is when we keep it to ourselves. Psalm 142 says, I, I, with my voice, I cry out. David expresses his sorrow to God and to the saints. He pleads to God for mercy. Tells the brethren. Why? Why does David tell the brethren, I'm I'm dying within? It's so that he can be encouraged by the saints. In Psalm 142, again, there's these characteristics of the person who is faint-hearted, but feels that no one cares. I just say to you, Don't assume that everyone knows or can discern your sorrow. Don't assume that everyone knows that you're suffering. Share your sorrow. Share with those who are around you. In all of the years that I've been in church, uh, which will be 42 years this coming September, since I was born, I've seen so many people leave the church for this reason. I was going through difficulty and no one called me. No one cared. Well, as I began to mature, at first I was thinking, that's terrible. The church is terrible. How could they ever not call the person who's going through suffering? Now the other side of me, who's more mature and grown up, says, well, did you tell anybody you were suffering? Did anybody know you were going through difficulty? We don't see you for a week. We'll check in on you, but... Most of the time, we're checking on you if we don't see you for a couple weeks. Everything okay? It's not a a good, nor is it a biblical reason, nor is it a mature reason to leave a church. No one called me. Did you call anyone? It goes both ways. It goes both ways. Express your sadness. Wait on the Lord. Trust in Him. But also make efforts to emerge out of the darkness. You can't stay there. And one of the ways to emerge is to express your sadness. Express it. Endure it. Escape from it. But you've got to share it. When you express your sadness. I pray that the the brethren, that is all the church, will be there to help. To encourage you and to pull you out of the darkness. We can't affirm those in suffering and then leave them where they are without encouraging them. You're going through difficulty? Like James says, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, may you be well on your journey. Do something to help. Ask, what can I do to help you? What can I do to encourage you? How can I be a better blessing to you? We must be careful. Again, uh, as our children are growing, to not shelter them from things that are difficult for them as well. They're going to go through hard things. But I encourage you parents, be there for your children. 
Let them know that there is an open door for them. That anytime they are wrestling with anything difficult, that they can come and talk to you. I don't know about you guys, but I'll ask you, and you can answer it in your own head. Were your parents available for you to talk to about anything, anytime, anywhere? Did they make the door open for you? That anytime I wanted to talk to them about anything, whether it's something I'm feeling, something I'm going through, I could always go to dad and mom with confidence, knowing I will have a good and helpful conversation. Or did you grow up in a house where you said, my parents and I didn't talk? I didn't feel comfortable to talk to them. I didn't feel like there was an open door. And if I did go to them, I felt like I might get judged or get in trouble for thinking what I thought. Let your kids go through difficulty. And let your door be wide open for them when they say, this is hard. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. Because your kids, believe it or not, even though they're young, they go through faint-heartedness as well. They go through grieving as well. We think, what could they grieve about? They got a house over there. They're not paying no bills. They don't got to go to work. They just got to go to school and eat. School and eat. That's all you got to do. They're trying to learn who they are, though. They're trying to figure out their mind, and they're trying to figure out their place in this world. It's hard. You know that. You were there, some of you, not too long ago. It's not an easy thing. Be there for your kids. Let the door be open for them. Let them know that they can come and you can process whatever they're saying and bring it to the Lord together. I will say that if we think about, if we think that even for our kids, if we just want to make all the bad things go away, it's almost like science and it's almost like uh, medicine, especially now in this pandemic, that we're just going to make everything go away. It's not all going to go away. When there's a COVID, there's a variant. When there's a variant of COVID, there'll be another variant of COVID. Something will happen. We will not be able to cure it all. To the faint-hearted, express your sorrow. Trust in God. Don't seek a life that it tries to avoid suffering. Uh, one of the things that I've heard uh, someone say, the, the way out is the way through. The way out is the way through. Can't go around it. You got to go right through it. And in going through it, you will be better for it. Think about the things that you've suffered in your life. Do you wish they didn't happen? Well, I'm sure that we all would say, yeah, I wish that didn't happen that way. But it kind of shaped you in a certain way, didn't it? Kind of made you the man and woman that you are because of what you went through. Not what you went around or tried to avoid. You had to go through it. And there will be more things. And they cannot be avoided. The way out is the way through. Fifth and finally. Look back and praise God. To the faint-hearted. This will be an encouraging point to you. How did you get here? How are you here where you are now? Reflect. On how God has preserved you all of these years. God has kept you. He's provided for you. Uh, he has kept you strong. And you are here today. Look back on the miles that you have traveled with God. And see God's faithfulness. See God's mercy. See how God has brought you a very long way. 
God has warned us that we will experience suffering and pain in this life. But hasn't God given you so many good things in that long process of pain and suffering? Has it all been suffering? Has it all been bad? No. God has given us, again, work. Which means you've been able to make money. Which means you've been able to buy things and provide for your family and go places. Those are good things. You've had clothes and food and drinks and homes and recreations. You've had things that you can't buy. Sunshine. You've had heat and rain. You've had some of us snow and cold. Along the way, you've had friends and family. It's not all been bad. God has given us so many good things in our lives. And when we look back and see the miles of goodness and faithfulness from God, shouldn't that encourage you? Has it all been perfect? No. But God hasn't promised that it would be. But along the way, there's been these wonderful morsels of goodness that we can look back and say, thank God for that. Here's the biggest one. God has saved you. You were dead in your sin and trespass. You were a hater of God. And God has brought you out of darkness into his light. He's given you a heart not to hate him, but to love him. He's given you a discernment to know truth from error. And now he's brought you in a church where you can encourage and be encouraged. Hasn't God been good? When we think of all of the ways in which we can be low. Think of all the ways in which God has been mercifully high and good to you. And there's, it's not because of your good deeds. It's because of his mercy. He saved us by grace. And here's the thing to look forward to. While we wait, you're waiting because you are promised that Christ will return and you are therefore bound for heaven. Heaven is your destiny. It's your eternal fate. Glory is ahead of you. Christ is yours. The consummation you will be a part of on on the good side of it. You will see the glory of God. You will be eternally satisfied in Him. No food, no shrimp on the American Riviera could ever compare to Christ. He will eternally satisfy you. No food, no drink, no recreation, no hobby, no uh, place to visit will ever satisfy what you will see in the vision of Christ. You will be eternally satisfied. That's where you're going. Are you faint-hearted? You have a wonderful future ahead of you. And you are being prepared for that day now. Dear faint-hearted ones, look back, presently rejoice, and look forward. Will it be tough now and maybe in the future for a little while? Yeah. But God will lift us to higher heights than we can ever comprehend. Our experience of the goodness of God, it should be an anchor for our souls. Why am I not being drifted and taken out into the wild sea? It's because God has been so good. Why am I not walking about in darkness? It's because God continues to fuel, add fuel to the flame of your fainting hearts. Without God, your hearts would completely be extinguished of any flame of fire. Your awakening this morning was, especially to come to worship, was God's fuel. Wake up, come, worship. You can imagine that flame. 
my mom has one of those old gas ovens that when you turn it, uh, it just has gas. You need to light it when it will flame to, to ignite. Every time we come and gather with the saints, it is that flame ignited by God. Go, worship with the saints. For me, my emotional strength can only uh, flame your heart so much. I can only give you so much encouragement. And sometimes we know that, don't we? I've encouraged so much. I've, I've said every scripture I can think of. I've tried to, to love and encourage and hug and, and cry with as much. I don't know what else I can do. There's not other, uh, there's not anything else you can do. You've done what, you, what is required of you. Only God can light that flame. Only God can make it burn f- f- uh, brightly once again. Only God can do that. Encourage the faint, the faint hearted. Praise God. Because He's the one who lights the flame. Uh, not me nor any of the other saints here. God does that. We can assist, but God is the only one who lights. Well, we can be those ones who, if you will, will fan, but only God can light. If you are thinking, uh, brothers and sisters, or faint-hearted ones, it's difficult to praise God. It's difficult to think of reasons why I should. Then I pray that this would be one of the greatest reasons. God loves you. Are you faint-hearted? Are you low? Is your spirit crushed? God loves you. If you are in Christ, He loves you. Let that be the main reason why you can think of a reason to praise Him. And here's the thing. God loves you because He is love. And His love is not like yours or mine. Nothing, the Bible says, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even you. You cannot separate yourself from God's love in Christ. He has promised this, to never leave you nor forsake you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Praise God for His goodness, for His abundant blessings. Praise God that in Christ we can emerge and overcome sorrow and sadness and faint-heartedness. Praise God that uh, it is not our strength that ignites the flame. It's the strength of Christ. He's the one who fills our songs. You remember Mary at the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was weeping. And the angel of the Lord said to her, or an angel from the Lord said to her, Why are you weeping? She said, Because my master, he's gone. The angel says, He is risen. Don't weep. He is risen. Let's pray.